everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking with Ella Donald, an emerging journalist and culture writer who's been published widely and has, on the side of all that writing, done a bunch of weird things with her life. Uh, and this conversation actually begins with an explanation of the difference between dough and batter. It's an eclectic show, but it's a good one. Now, regular housekeeping. Uh, subscribe to us wherever you podcasts and visit houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and how we can support you. Now, on to the show. Ella's kept the writer's room in good order. She's added in a small table piled up with magazines and journals, and she's piled a couple of cushions beside it. She's made this place home. On the desk, a teacup and a half-eaten packet of those weird blue Doritos that I think are illegal south of the Queensland border. Ella comes in in the morning and she works through the day, researching and writing and enveloping herself within the house and the topics she's writing about. She's working on a piece about the house, actually, as well as everything else she's doing while she's here, and and that's awesome. Um, We'll announce that and where it's being published when it happens. For now, here's Ella Donald. I guess waffles are waffles bread. I guess not. They're not. But they are doughy. Are they, they're, they're made from a batter though, not a dough. So. What differentiates a batter and a dough? Uh, I, I can answer this because in my past teenage life, I was a competitive baker. <laughs> like like actually entering competitions? Or I just won like, at the Echo a couple of times. What? What did you win? Uh, I won most six. I won like first second third in a couple of sections there was like marble cake and cupcakes and stuff like that and i won most successful exhibitor when i was 14 most successful exhibitor what Mm. does what does that mean that means you get the most amount of prizes of anyone in like the division all right all right. So, so you know, I, I can answer the difference. I can definitely answer the difference between. Dough oh and yeah, batter. yeah. We didn't get batter that. Batter yeah. is batter is more viscous, so it's more mm-hmm. like a liquid. Well, Whereas a dough is like a thick. A dough is like a dough. dough. I think of yeah, like play dough. It's yeah. stuff you can stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. That that makes sense. Now that we know the difference between a uh, waffle and a a uh, a bread, um, dough and a batter. I imparted a bit of wisdom. <laughs> This this is a podcast that's all about learning. I've decided that we've started, by the way. I've decided that the difference okay. between batter and dough is the beginning it of our podcast. So you have clearly done weird things in your life. I guess, yeah. And 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 a lot of it. Um I know that sort of the first thing or one of the first things that's on your CV is that you ran a website called Fashion of Glee. I right? sure did, yeah. When I was when I was 15, well, I didn't actually start it. Uh, a girl I was, I followed on Tumblr. This is, you know, very, very teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she, uh, she started it and uh, you could submit, because pretty much the website, what the website did was we found the exact clothes that were worn on the TV show Glee. So if you were like, oh, I like that dress, we'd find it for you. And you could, and readers could submit things they had found as well. Uh, I pretty much submitted a couple of pretty hard to find things, and then she was like, "Hey, do you want to come join?" <laughs> but no, I got paid and everything. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're actually you're actually sort of a, a paid editor of 
I guess an online publication for yeah, and it was it was really wild because as I said, I was like fifteen, and we get invites from like to go to parties held by ASOS in New York City and stuff like that. Did you go? No, because I was, <laughs> I had to go to school and <laughs> I had to go to school and didn't have any money and like the the Alice, the girl who ran it with me was a, she was a couple years older than me, but she was like still at high school, so we were like, <laughs> what? But no, you know, yeah, we got press from around the place as well which was exciting yes yeah and then um you left that in 2015 because glee ended well um, is glee still going yeah glee ended in 2015 um i wasn't i didn't do as much work for it i'd say after about 2013 because the show was still going but it was uh interest on it had waned quite a lot just I mean, our interest joined <laughs> and like, um, all, as well as general readers and stuff weren't as, weren't as interested in the show anymore. So, you know, there wasn't as much work required. So yeah, she did a lot more herself. Yeah. And then we ended it about six months after the show ended because that seemed a good time to wrap it up. And we, it had been going for five years by that point, which pretty fair time that's a long time to run anything i know yeah really. big 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 kudos to yeah alice it was it was you know her it was her baby she'd let me you know come on and come on and help her with it which was you know massive so between that and baking and oh well yeah well there's like also to add to the more disparate things my um my first career ambition, which is you know extremely misguided, was uh, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. Okay. So, I've yeah I've got everything thrown in here really. Do you still practice ballet at all? Or I don't. I haven't danced for a couple of years. Uh, mainly, well, when I was a teenager, I um <laughs> I quit in high school after I had a really bad teacher, particularly, and I didn't want to do it anymore, even though I loved it. And it's really hard to find another stool when you're like 15, 16. And um, I also had stool, stool and stuff going on as well. And no, so I haven't really, I've done like casual classes here and there since then, but no, I haven't done anything regular. I'd like to do that again though. My like, my aim as making money as a freelancer is to make enough that I can go back. <laughs> Because that's that's sort of that's what you do now is you you yeah. freelance um, primarily, which is something I want to get into talking about, and maybe let's transition to that now. Yeah, um, instead of me talking about my weird life experiences. No, 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 we're definitely <laughs> going to go back to weird life experiences. Um, uh, but yeah, so you you work as a freelancer. You've had work mm-hmm. sort of in the Guardian in. Mm-hmm. Vanity Fair? Yeah, uh, Guardian, Vanity Fair, uh, this film magazine in the UK called Little White Lies. Uh, I, you should definitely check them out. Um, they in, they commission artists to do all their artwork for their issues, including uh, the cover and all the, you know, stuff that accompanies the articles. It, it, that's a great publication. And it's really a dream come true to write for them. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, and I also... Uh, Kill Your Darlings mm-hmm. and Junkie, uh, Brisbane Times, yeah, a bunch of stuff. I When Brisbane Times still had uh, the regional sites, there was one for Ipswich and Gold Coast and a couple others. I was the film critic for the Ipswich one. Yeah, so just around the place. Oh, and SBS, yeah. So yeah. Really a nice 
gathering. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess like, especially like so, sort of for your age, you've been in a, a fair number of places, like internationally. Yeah. Um, yeah. My aim at the moment, I love the international stuff and it's fantastic, but my, um, my aim at the moment is to get more a couple to do a few more local stuff. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, you do know the people that are more around you, I guess around like in your industry where you are yeah so local is in brisbane yeah brisbane australia sure yeah yeah i'd definitely love to try do more stuff in brisbane that'd be fantastic so i want to sort of sort of move away from i guess like lists and ask because i think a lot of people um don't really understand the freelancing process um <laughs> well, in- including a, a lot of freelancers <laughs> well okay i'm gonna preface this um with the fact that uh, i only started really i um i started as i said i had the stuff when i was in high school um i started writing about movies a lot when i was finishing up high school mm-hmm. And did reviews for a couple of years. And then last year, I really started to go into freelancing. So I've only really been at this for about a year and a half. Okay, that's fine. So I'm not going to claim to be any kind of expert. No no one on this podcast is an expert. That's good. Because it's all emerging artists. Heck, I mean, I'm no expert on anything. Yeah. Can barely Um, interview a person coherently. (laughs) Um, But no, what I wanted wanted to to ask was like sort of what's, what's your... What's what's the process for you? Like, do you have the article idea and you approach the uh, magazine and then mm. and then you write it, or do you write it in advance? Like, what's your? Uh, I don't generally do the on spec thing just because a lot the of the what time, sorry what thing when you write an article and then you go find a place for it. Like, it's 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 the chicken and the egg. Like, uh, the, the, my problem with writing things and then trying to find a place for them is that a lot of the time things change uh you know like a pit a pitch might a thing might change from when you pitch it to when you finish it um also a lot of the time it can be unnecessary unnecessary work for something that might not go anywhere and like i did it once and it ended up really it it wound up really well but no i it's generally it's generally you have an idea and then you think of where where it would be best suited. Or if you have an idea and then you think of a place that might do it, then you try and modify it to it so that you think they might like it more. Also, um, it's important to say, I think, that it's not ideas, it's angles. That's something editors hate, pitching them ideas, because it's a, an idea isn't a story. Mm-hmm. An idea isn't something that has shape. It's just... Go on more about sort of that distinction between angles and ideas. Oh, well, an idea... It, as I said, an idea doesn't have, necessarily have a story in it. An idea can just be a thing. But then you have to think of what makes that thing interesting what is what is like you know what is something that someone can learn from this thing so yes I think that's yeah but no the so yeah it's generally yeah I just pretty much do that I just think of an idea might refine it a bit more and yeah then think of who would be suited to it and it's you know it's great if you can think of something if you can tailor an idea that is also 
not too specific to a publication, just then you can send out that pitch multiple times in multiple places and hopefully you'll find a place for it eventually, yeah. Yeah, is that hard sometimes? Like, does it often sort of the amount of waiting, the amount of sort of throwing things <laughs> at a wall? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because, well, as I said, I haven't been at this for very long. Um, so I'm not, you know, on the top of any editor's go-to list currently. So no, definitely. Um, it's frustrating, you know, it's understandable, but frustrating, you know, when someone else at the publication's already looking at it. And yeah, the throwing things at a wall, you know, it can take a while to hear a reply. Um, sometimes the moment's passed. Sometimes, you know, someone's already written that. Yeah, that is frustrating, but, you know. So what is it that keeps you going then? What What is it about sort of <laughs> oh. writing about culture and writing writing about, yeah, writing criticism, writing about culture that sort of keeps you, keeps you activated? Well, it's definitely that I love doing it. It's the thing I love doing the most. And I mean, it's, there's been times like, okay, when I was, the thing that I think sort of held me back from pursuing it more seriously before last year was that I had this massive period of, you know, uh, I couldn't do anything pretty much. I was really just depressed and everything about uh, general life stuff. So that definitely held me back from it for a little bit. But what keeps me going is that I really do love it. And that means sometimes it's hard because you, it's really hard to write sometimes because I don't know if you feel this, but for myself, I definitely have this sort of anxiety about doing justice to the thing I'm writing about that's ever present. So no, that, and I don't know, like, I think it is the passion that keeps it going. And sometimes, yeah, as I said, it's hard, even if you love it so much. And it's definitely what keeps me going is that it's the thing I want to do in life and I want to make a career out of this. When you say doing justice to something, um, Mm -hmm. to the thing itself, do you mean that? Do you mean that in terms of sort of the angle or idea you've had? Or do you mean like the the thing, the piece of culture that you're writing about? It's definitely the thing I'm writing about. And also I want, I, I imagine what I want to say a certain way in my brain. And then I'm like, why can't I get, why doesn't it sound right on the page? Why can't I get what I'm thinking of out on the page? Which I'm sure is something a lot of writers worry about. You know, it's like, well, this isn't exactly this isn't exactly what I feel about it. Yeah, it's hard to articulate those complicated feelings. <laughs> yeah, right. the The idea that that even writing mm. is is still just an approximation of thought, not mm-hmm. thought itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you find yourself getting better at it? It goes in ebbs and flows, I'd say, more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure as I do more of it and I progress, or well, hopefully I keep progressing, you know, into doing this, um, it will become easier. It's like a it's like a muscle. You just build it up. Mm-hmm. And so I guess consistently training the muscle. Absolutely. Yeah, using it regularly. So then in terms of sort of shifting away to uh, from the process and to sort of what you write about, do you, in order to be a culture writer, sort of writing primarily about TV and film, is that a correct way to sort of pigeonhole you? Well, or? it's definitely what I've done in the past, but presently, not just out of necessity, but also interest, I'm sort of trying to shift away from that a bit more. Mm-hmm. Just because, well, my What pa- are you shifting towards? 
Uh, well, I write, uh, I write a bit about like social and cultural issues and other forms of arts like dance and music and things like that. I also love writing about like celebrity culture, which is something I'd love to do more. But my, yeah, it's just not out of necessity. I feel that it's not sustainable perhaps to try and make a living just out of writing about movies. But it's also interest because as you can see, my life has been extremely varied and I like writing about all those things. And also I think the writing is actually better if you can, you have an extremely disparate amount of experiences and interest areas because you can bring those to, you can bring those to culture writing in all different ways. And also in my mind, arts and popular culture writing is such a broad spectrum, which is the umbrella I chuck it under because I like I, I like writing about and and am interested in so many different things. Like at the moment, I want to do a lot more writing on like youth culture and stuff like that, which I have done, and like technology and online communities and things because they're all things I have experience in in my own life and I'm extremely dissatisfied with the way that they're talked about most of the time in the media and that's like upset because they're because they they were all extremely important parts of my life as a teenager and it's really when you read oh, I'll give you an example like you read like really demeaning writing about fandoms on the internet that'd be like mm -hmm. oh they're just crazy i'm like but they're not crazy like you know you have to look at it from that other perspective it's like the type of stuff so saves people's lives being part of that community and like it saved my life stuff like that at times so it is that is something i really want to get into and try contribute to the conversation of because i feel like we are really not exploring the potential of that and we're really shortchanging it and just Looking at it in a very surface manner, which is just pointing the finger. You feel you laughing. feel it being dismissed? Definitely, yeah. And it's just sort of, you know, all oh, the internet's this weird place. And it's not it's just a joke. But the internet is extremely important the internet and the things that happen on it are extremely important with what happens in the world. And also I feel like people don't take it's like just not taking that culture and again youth seriously. Do you think and this is this is inter interesting because it kind of lets us pivot to talk a bit about the internet. Mm. Do you think it it becomes hard for people to take the internet seriously when so many communities and people and figures on the internet are lacing themselves with irony? It's an interesting point, but I guess my point is that everything that happens on there is indicative of the rest of the world. And I mean, people do, so you can just, because people are wasting themselves with irony, you can just go, ha ha, brush it off. It doesn't mean anything, but it does mean something. And you have to look at, you have to start taking notice of it because it's, it's meaning more and more. Like you can see that with, you can see that with like, like Trump being elected and things like that, you know, people just completely ignored what was happening on the internet. They're like, oh, you know, it's just a couple of people online. It doesn't mean anything. He won. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That idea, it's like, no, 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 everyone on 4chan is a Russian bot. Yeah. It's like, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're, they are They are people. They do. I'm not saying everything on the internet's good, which is, I think, 4chan's not good. Uh, Neo-Nazis aren't good. So many <laughs> things aren't good. But they're all, they're all deeply indicative of what's happening. Like, the world doesn't just happen in person anymore. 
Right. And especially young people. People probably well, that's the thing. four years younger than us, mm. I would say, grew up in internet default world. That's Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. Like, I was... I was born in 95, so I have a bit, I have the best of, I have the both really. Yeah. We we did have computers when I was a kid and we had computers when I was quite little and I remember drawing on them. But at the same time, I remember the world without, where the internet had such a vice grip. It was sort of both worlds at the same time. Yeah. I have the same experience, born Mm. in 96. Um, The the computers are there, but yeah, you're right. The Mm. omnipresence isn't. Um, Yeah. Yeah, speaking more more on the internet, I think like, do you do you find it hard maybe as a as a writer, with the fact that everyone on the internet can, can speak? Do oh, you, I haven't you, really ever thought about that. Do you find it hard, sort of breaking through the noise, feeling like, and trying to negotiate with feeling whether you are part of the noise? No, I no, I wouldn't say so because <laughs> this is going to sound terribly up myself, but um, I do sort of prefer to think about things and expand on things and put it and have it in some sort of extended manner rather than just fire off uh, tweets one yeah. after the other to give it some consideration. So, no, I, I haven't really thought about that and it's not really something I think about, no. But, yeah, no, pretty much it's just, as you said, this is the people who are four years younger than us or so, they've grown up in a world where this is, they can't think of anything, they don't know anything else. And they're the future. and they're the fu- So, therefore, they're the future. You've really got to start paying attention to them. Do you feel hopeful for, for that future or do you feel... I'd, I'd say so because there are things that do indicate yes but at the same time things can surprise you in terrible terrible ways yeah yeah I, one of the most surprising things I've seen is this mm-hmm. constant t- statistic where polling young people mm-hmm. sees that sort of young people around 14 15 are one of the most conservative generations which is wild but yeah I've seen that too so that yeah as I said there are things that make you optimistic, but then at the same time you hear that and you hope, oh, God, I hope that's just a phase and they all eventually wake up to, you know, to not being conservative idiots. Which is exactly what young pe- uh, old people would say about us yeah. in terms of being sort of very left. liberal liberal yeah. idiots. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, which, which is funny. It's funny that, that we're watching that happen. And I think with the internet speeding everything up mm. and the cons- the consummation, the development of, of knowledge being sped up mm. so astronomically that we're seeing us already react to the young'uns when we wouldn't have any idea who the young'uns were 20 years ago. Well, that's funny because everyone's, everyone just dismisses them, dismisses it as the young'uns. It's, it's like an othering. Like, don't other. Like, this is like what's deciding the course of the world. Yeah, and how and there's just so many things i want to like write about about that and all these worlds that you know mainstream media or adult or like you know older people or something and just shrugging off completely about like, sure, like people who watch channel nine news or whatever mm, like there's one i really want to <laughs> there's one i really want to tackle at some point this podcast won't come out for a month if you want to <laughs> yeah that's good um but i really want to 
I really want to investigate. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but um, in you know, you regularly you hear a lot about how religion, how society is becoming less religious as a whole. Yeah, religion doesn't play as much of a role as it, as it once did. Mm-hmm. The highest, the fastest growing religion in Australia is Christian outreach churches, which are very happy clappy. Very up like Hillsong. Is that the Hillsong sort of community? Sort of, but they're 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 increasing, and they're getting heaps of recruits. And these are all young people that they recruit off social media. And as you and when I was when I was a teenager, religion was like which you know, it's you know only about five years ago, but religion was so uncool. And if you were the kid who went to church, or I'm an atheist myself, so I never felt this. And I, I even went to a Catholic school. But if you if you were a religious person who were very devoutly religious, it was very deeply, yeah, it, it wasn't socially acceptable at all. But now you have this environment where a lot of teenagers and, you know, it's like the cool kid thing to do are going to these churches. And I haven't really investigated this much at all except – observed social media activity and how they use social media to get people in. But they're doing, but they're doing it. And something like that is really contributory to a sweeping wave of conservatism in like 14, 15 year olds. What do you think though is, is the core thing that maybe like not sort of talking about their social media tactics. I imagine Mm. they're very savvy because I imagine they offer a lot of money to their social media marketing people, but sort of beyond, beyond that, um, what do you think it is that sort of enabled a, a a situation, a social situation where young people can once again be so clearly. Yeah. Well, I guess that's hard to answer and I'd have to, you know, do a bit more investigation probably before I could come to that conclusion. Um, it's interesting because these churches and these groups that these teen- that teenagers, you know, then go to are very large and very built on that kind of community. So I think it really is, it maybe is trying to find that sort of meeting place in person that has sort of disappeared because... I, yeah, I hate a lot of reactionary tech journalism talking about how, you know, phones are making teenagers into zombies and phones, totally. are, phones are, you know, ruining the world and causing depression. There was this, there was this article in The Atlantic last month it. that absolutely drove me insane. Really? With, with I liked that article. Just, just, how, just how sounding the alarm bells it was about, about it. You know, it's like, oh, it's like a public health problem. And it's such a one-sided way of looking at it because on the one hand you've got You've got people finding themselves as teenagers through online communities. And you do have that element of loneliness, but you can't really blame the teenagers for it. And, yeah, as I said, I feel like going towards those communities, like those churches, I think it really is trying to find a meeting place. And I, But I think what has really taken away that meeting place, it, you know, once upon a time going to the, the shopping centre or something, is that I think parents are more fearful now more yes. than ever. yes. And parents went where their children go out. And like I know kids whose whose parents, you know, take away toys when they're children and but give them an iPod. 
and like very much children still like go no more toys you know you're a grown-up now and give them the ipod and then they're shocked when they only use the ipod and i'm like what do you expect them to do it's the most compelling tool Mm. toy anything yeah and they're like oh yeah well they're like oh all they do is they're on their ipod i'm like well they don't have anything else to do and yeah they they they're purely not allowed outside as much as they once were. It's like it's text sitting. Like you put the you put them in their room on the device, and you're like, oh, they're safe. It's fine. And then you complain about the fact that they they only do that. But you're not letting them go out into the world. You're not letting them have those kinds of experiences. So yeah, in a way, turning towards that those types of communities that those religions do create is not shocking to me at all, because it's that freedom. Yeah, I, I, and I think the article we were talking about was mm. Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation mm-hmm. um, on The Atlantic yep, by Gene M. Twenge. Um, in all fairness, he does, he does make that, that argument exactly mm. around parents not allowing kids to be independent yeah. being sort of the reason, but then he sort of... Yeah. Th- I feel like the, the headline is kind of unfair mm. on this article, but anyway, this isn't like a, a criticism of criticism <laughs> um, a podcast, but uh, come on, Twenge. Uh, it's probably not Twenge. It's probably The Atlantic. Who, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. No, who, as someone who does that, you know, the, the headline is, you know, editor slash publication yeah. discretion. Yeah, it wouldn't It wouldn't have been. Uh, Twenge is a, uh, a, a psychology professor. Mm. Um, but anyway, regardless of that, um, yeah. So speaking, I guess, to that sort of in-person community thing, um, you know, and then talking about fandom community, you know, mm. like – Anything from, you know, Super Hulock, which is sort of infamous. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yes. <laughs> to, to sort of, you know, places on Reddit, places on 4chan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Facebook groups. Like, the, the, secret is, the secret is, as to everything, it's a happy medium between the two. It's between having those online communities and having that real life interaction. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. You're being interviewed. You're, you have <laughs> your sort of jurisprudence. Um, but... I think that's how you use it. God oh. damn it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, cool. Great. Um, hey, uh, but how do you find a medium there when, like, particularly with sort of niche interests, um, it's hard to sort of find people in your own town or near you mm. or within sort of what would be considered a quote-unquote appropriate set of demographics yeah. to be hanging out with. Mm. Yeah, no, I do I do know what you mean because you do face that at some point. But then, I don't know, you just, sometimes you get lucky and then you're like, oh, wait, you're in the same city as me. But no, there is an extent of that. Like when I was in, when I was in Glee fandom, when I was involved, yeah, a lot with the fandom in Glee, there was a lot of people in it who were from Basically, well, they were a lot from America, of course, because it was an American TV show. But there are a lot of people who were in Sydney and Melbourne and other cities. But yeah, no, you do you do just get lucky, I guess. So what is it? Do you, what is it? Do you think that um, religion then might might differentiate there? Like, is it is it the fact that like there, there don't seem to be many sort of online based churches? The in person no, no, of it seems it's to that in person element of it. It's you know, you hear about Hillsong conventions in they're Sydney insane. where they're insane and they're thousands and thousands of people, and that's why people love going to those things because it's it's having that connection. Is that the same with something like Comic Con? I'd say so, definitely. Like, I've been to a couple of things like that, and 
Have you? I've been to Supernova. Yeah, exactly. So Supernova is our version of that. And it is great to have that type of gathering where you find it's the people who understand you, or at least you think. (laughs) But, you know, it's you share a common interest and you share a common maybe world, I'm going to say worldview, but maybe not necessarily worldview. But there is something there that unites you all. Yeah, and so I wonder, do you... I never thought I'd be drawing comparisons between supernova and church, but here, but here we oh, are. Oh, dude, they're, so, they're exactly the same. Um, it is, so, yeah, it is sort of my church, I guess. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, you know, insofar as I remember reading about like uh, people trying to start atheist churches, mm-hmm. where essentially you meet on Sunday and you know, someone reads from generally philosophy or Thomas Sowell or something. It's just about having that gathering. And it's about having the gathering. Um, and, you know, that is the case sort of uh, Brisbane has a subreddit, um, r slash Brisbane, and they have yep. gatherings and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Like, exactly. it is happening. Do you think it needs to happen more? Do you think it? Do you think there need to the be... The in-person gathering side of the internet. Yeah, maybe. I'd say definitely. And this is a great opportunity for me to bring up one of my my favorite TV show. Um, it's a TV show called Halt and Catch Fire. And which you have a podcast about. I do have a podcast about Halt and Catch Fire, which I started from, I w- I've wanted to do a podcast for ages. And then I, the new season of it was coming up and I was like, hmm, it's a good, maybe a good thing to try, try out podcasting with because uh, it goes, it's going to be about eight weeks, you know, Perfect. It, you only have to it, do eight episodes. It has a defined beginning and end. There's really no way to get lost along the way, you know, and l- l- drop the ball on that because you like it's from here to here. Anyways, Holt and Catch Fire is set in the el- starts in the early '80s and it's about the boom of personal computing in America. And it's set multiple, but the beginning's set in Texas and season three onwards is set in California, and it follows these four people. And one of the, it's it, the beginning of it is really madman like, and it gradually it very quickly decides that that's not the strongest way to go about that story. So the mm-hmm. beginning is madman with computers with the with this guy who's played by Lee Pace. Do you know who Lee Pace is? No. He was in. If you've seen a movie called The Fall. It's he's fantastic in that. It's this. It's this. The fall is this. I'm going in so many tangents right now. No, it's um, good. The fall is this, good conversation. The fall is this um, amazing fantasy movie that was shot over five years. In I'd have to look it up, but it's about 22 countries, and yeah, it's fantastic. And he's also in this TV show called Pushing Daisies. Oh yeah, which I I loved when I was. When it came out, I was about 12 and I loved that show. So, yeah, there's him and he's like the real Don Draper frustrated genius type of thing. And he's bisexual, which, like, excellent plus. Um, and then there's this frustrated genius salesman called Gordon and they build a computer and it that's it all goes from there. But then they work out that the most interesting people are the, like, other – very smart sort of reclusive young programmer called Cameron who's played by Mackenzie Davis. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Davis is in The Martian and she's oh, she's in the new Blade Runner. And then 
and Gordon's wife, who has like a doctorate in engineering. So then the rest, then it's season four right now. So season two and three really follows Donna and Cameron yep. when they may have their own thing. Anyways, Halt and Catch Fire is, it's, so it's about the early days of the internet. But now, okay, spoiler, season four, we're in 93. Here we go. Oh, my God. Okay, season four, we're in 93. <laughs> Introduce the show and then we've ruined it. <laughs> okay, see, okay. But it's not really, a, it's, I won't tell you anything that happens along yeah. the way. Okay, but yeah, so. okay. So we're now in the early days, which was the World Wide Web started in 91. Mm-hmm. And we're in 93, so it's becoming more popular. And it's really, it's really the halcyon days of the internet because it's talking about what, we, what we're talking about here, where it's the happy medium between people are finding these things online. It's, you know, discovering new things online, but they're still talking to each other. They have those real human connections. There is that community gathering side to it, which is what, yeah, it's what the show was about. It's, you know, it's technology, but it's the people as well. And it, it's the people that make the technology and it's really the people that make the technology work. I guess, that you need to still have that real-world connection in order for the world to work. With. It, it's not like a sort of black mirror-constructed world where no. the technology is no. an omnipresent force no. more often than not. No. It, like, there's the great thing it does is that it does foreshadow, you know, what is to come with the internet and technology, but in very subtle ways. You know, it's not, no, it isn't that source of doom at this point. It's very optimistic, which I like, yeah. Have you seen much of Black Mirror? I've seen all of Black Mirror, yeah. San Junipero. San Junipero was <laughs> good. My favorite. Shut Up and Dance was my favorite. Um, but not to, no, yeah, let's, let's not spoil Black Mirror. Go watch Black Mirror if, you, if you're scared about technology. And, uh, and yeah. go watch Black Mirror if you're not scared of technology. You should definitely watch Halt and Catch Fire if, yeah, as well. And also Mackenzie Davis is in an episode of Black Mirror, so... Oh, which... She's Yorkie in San Junipero. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That... And, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, I was just going to say, all my friends listening to this will immediately crack up laughing when I mention Hulk because they'll be like, we knew you'd mention it because it's the thing I try to slip into every conversation because about 12 people watch it. So. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when I when I was uh, Twitter stalking you to prepare... Oh, you Twitter stalked me. I okay. Twitter stalked you to prepare for this interview um, because uh, I do my due, gil- due diligence. It's good. Um, so but it's I like can't pronounce what I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just do it. Um, yeah, I had not heard of the show. I c- could not put a finger on it at all. But I did recognize the actors. Mm. Um, credit where credit is due to my sister for introducing me to it. She'll kill me if I don't say that, so... And so now, now you have your, your own podcast about that to sort of explore that as a medium. Do you feel do you feel like writers now, especially sort of people working within you know nonfiction mm. in sort of the journalism, do you feel like you need to diversify? I mean, it's my belief that that the podcasts are the the most exciting and vital mm. medium. I'd of say the so. Day. Definitely, you need to diversify, and that's a great thing that. I'm trying to do and that uni has really uni universities really encouraged these days. I've nearly finished undergrad is that at least where I go, they teach you, they impress upon you that it's important to learn all the skills. So you have subjects in radio and you have subjects in video editing and photography because you really do need to be the one woman or man or whatever. Um, show. Yeah. It's a jack of all trades. You need to be a jack of all trades. And that's the thing. That's the thing I'm seeing. There are few and far between jobs going. And whenever I've applied for any, it's, you know, 
you have to be proficient in audio editing, you have to be proficient in video editing, you have to be proficient in photo editing, which thankfully are all things I've gotten both out of uni and also general interest. Like I've always edited videos and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, you definitely need to be that jack of all trades. Do you um? Which is which is good as well because then yeah. you can move quite nimbly. Sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 no. Yeah, you can you can move nimbly, and I think having people be jacks of all trades is really important. I mean, it's a shame that we're sort of seeing publications essentially run out of money, mm. um, and so necessitating the jack of all trades. You know, I know I know most online publications don't have sub editors anymore. No, can I just say though, um, despite being despite the use of video and podcast being very exciting uh the thing the thing that really does annoy me about the current media landscape is all these publications uh, mtb did it recently even though they had a fantastic like news team and everything writing really good long form pieces pivoting to video and yeah. video video is something i don't know anyone who prefers and i know like people across all different kinds of areas and people who have different kinds of interests. I don't know anyone who'd rather watch a video than read a text article. And video is so much more difficult to get right. Yeah. I think, I think I quite like, I quite like, um, video criticism. Um, there is a, of course there is a place for video, but it's, you shouldn't be sacrificing your text-based staff for the sake of doing it. No, and and the the big the big trouble is that you know the the average human voice delivers between sort of one fifty and two hundred words a minute, mm. but you read it closer to sort of three hundred. Mm, so you know a ten minute video is only a fifteen hundred word article. Yeah, which is which is not long form. It's just it's just so much harder to produce video content that is engaging, and video content that. That is more than just reading out a fifteen hundred word article. Like there needs to be a reason to do the video. It has to show something that's more. It's pretty much you just have to find the medium that is the right way to tell this story. Yes. Yeah. And we, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no. Which is why I like I like movie Bob. Um, I don't know if you know him. He used to be with the Escapist. Um, uh, but he does he does a lot of very good film criticism. Oh yeah, yeah. I know video. what you mean. Um, and then um, does it still go by movie Bob? I'm not sure. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They might <laughs> escapist might have earned earned that intellectual property. But yeah. um and then I like I really enjoyed the needle drop for music mm. reviews, sort yeah. of compared to pitchfork or anything. Mm. But yeah, when it comes to sort of opinion articles, like a five thousand word opinion article or a one hour lecture, those are the equivalent. That's the thing. Video has to be something for the most part, has to be something that's short and sweet because a lot of people don't the thing with I know people that will, like, start an article then go back to it later and keep going. While people don't finish videos necessarily, they if it's too long, they just give up and they yeah. don't go back to it. And yeah. That's so good because you're not having people digest the content. <laughs> well, I guess the thing is you can leave you can leave a um, an article open in a pin tab. Yeah, exactly. Much easier than you can leave a video open. And YouTube doesn't have a particularly good continue watching function it's sort of random and in the background it seems to sort of be finally like certain things or things of certain lengths or something like that from experience yeah it's yeah. it's all algorithmically driven whereas with like a platform like say apple news which is where i tend to get my news like you can just save an article for later and yeah you can even save things on facebook yes yeah 
And then you just go back to it later and it has like the quick load feature. Then yeah. my Facebook uh, saves are just. Like oh, a my Facebook saves long. are just a mountain. Yeah, I try, yeah. I try to tidy it up. Um, so you have been writing while you've been here. Uh, can you give us a sneak peek on sort of what you've been working on sort of as we wrap up, wrap up the show? Okay. Um, well, I've been, I've been doing, it's the Brisbane International Film Festival right now. Yes. Obviously it won't be when the podcast comes out, but I've been doing some reviews from there for my, um, newsletter. Uh, I had a piece published on the Guardian this morning, oh, which lovely. I've been writing. Yeah. It was, it, um, what was about, the piece? Uh, it's about the TV show Growing Up Gracefully, mm-hmm. which is an ABC show. It's all available on iview. You should definitely watch it. So, yeah, I know about that. And I am writing a piece for the Saturday paper about this place. So Oh, about this place? Mm-hmm. Heck. Yeah. In the so, Saturday paper. Yeah. So I'm starting to work on that. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's exciting. Yeah, cool. All right. Well... Thanks very much for sitting and talking. Where can people find you online? Uh, the best way to probably find me online, because it links to absolutely everything, would be on my website, which is elladonaldwriter.wordpress.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Ella. Thank you. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>